Hi, Corey. Hey, how you doing, man? Good, thanks. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. You just did a great video with uh, UAD, kind of going into a lot of specifics about your yeah. how you record them. But could you kind of do an abridged version, like obviously your DI a lot? Yep. So a big part of my sound is just DI guitar. So a lot of electric guitar stuff that I do is very clean. And um, I'm a clean guitar guy most of the time. And I, I kind of break up the sound. To me, it, in general, it's like amp clean or just direct clean. Both are great, but both have different purposes. Um, so when I do... How do I explain it? So when I just do DI, no matter what, I still run through a compressor right away. And then um, a lot of times I run through an SSL channel strip or something just to give it a little bit of squish, a little bit of a thing, a vibe happening. Um, but sometimes when I record my guitars, I just go right into Logic or Pro Tools. And then I mess with the sound afterwards. Sometimes I'll use, um, yeah, like in that video, I use the UAD SVTR bass amp. That's nice because it's just clean. It doesn't really do a whole lot to the sound. It just kind of beefs it up a little bit. And uh, I actually learned that trick from Jack. He uh, would sometimes put my guitar through a bass amp simulator and just gave it a little bit of more thickness, but it didn't sound like it was through an amp, you know. And then the other times that I play and I record, and even live, I play through an amp. And a lot of people want amps that break up and that sort of thing, and like the Marshall thing, the Dumble thing. Like, I don't really care about either one of those or any of those. I just want it to be clean and punchy. So I don't care if you give me a Marshall or a Dumble or a Twin or whatever. Actually, the only amp that I haven't been able to work, sorry, Orange, but anytime I've played through an Orange amp, I just haven't been able to get it. it there's a certain like high-mid bump in those amps that that are just like, they work for a certain style of music, but they just don't work for me. Um, they're great for other things, but for my sound, I just I, I can't. It's never worked. Uh, so, yeah, like with the amp sound, if I get overdrive or anything, I normally do it from pedals. So I normally run all my knobs at noon. Other than volume, I just use to taste. And basically, once an amp starts breaking up, I say, all right, I need another amp. So sometimes on stage, I use two amps, but they're both at like three. What's your go-to mic, mic technique for recording guitar? Uh, if I'm using an amp, honestly, I like a 57 or an SM7. Um, those are great. I just did, uh, this morning, I've been going through the multi-tracks from this Metropole Orchestra set of dates that we were doing. And the engineer there had DI, a 57, and a Royer. The Royer sounds really good. Uh, it sounds a little more full spectrum on this, the way that he had it set up. So I'm I'm using that one more. I'm not really precious about the mic. Um, I typically like to mic a little bit to the side of the cone. I don't mic like to mic right at the center of the cone um, and a little bit off axis. So I just basically to get it a little bit darker. So I go kind of between the edge and the center of the cone and I go just a tiny bit off axis. And it seems to be a little more in the ballpark of what I like. Granted, I could kind of mic it anywhere and EQ it later, but I'd rather not. <laughs> I'd rather get it right on the front end. Yeah. Yeah. 
And you talked a bit in that UAD video about recording without headphones as well, obviously with Volkbeck yeah. and yourself. Do you talk a little bit about how you approach that as a band and as yourself? Uh, the main thing that bands hear about that and then want to try it, the reason why it never works for them is because they play too freaking loud. And um, when you play really loud in the room, everything just bleeds into each other. And that's the benefit of playing quiet in the room is that basically the approach that I take is I only hear enough of myself to get by the bare minimum. A lot of times when we're really going forward in the studio, I can't really hear myself. I just trust what I'm playing, what I'm feeling and seeing and how I, you know, how it feels in my hands. I just know what I'm doing. So, you know, we'll work things out, but then also sometimes listening back, in the control room or to the mix at the end when the album comes out, it's like, whoa, Woody, I didn't know you played that there. That's really cool. You know, so it's like sometimes there's little things that that happen that it's just like you don't hear as much because the room isn't very loud. But um, a lot of that is because you don't want to bleed into the drum mics. You want to be able to get as much control and isolation as possible. But keeping the live energy, the live vibe is nice, not having headphones I think there's advantages to headphones, and a lot of times when I record, I'll record with headphones, so that way it's much more isolated, but um, otherwise you get, like, I don't know if you can hear this, but... Uh, like, these are the piano mics on this recording right now. Uh, oh, sorry. Nope. These are the piano mics. I was going to say, man, that actually sounds like the mix. So this is this recording that I'm doing. You can hear some drums. You can hear some other things, which is fine, but it's just like, there's a little bleed, but the, the piano was covered up and whatever. It's enough for me to do it. Like, I'm not really... The other thing that you have to do with that, the approach is that you can't really edit very much. You know, if you're going to maybe make a cut, some tiny nudges, or it's like, man, I completely hit a wrong chord at this one spot. Just take it from another piece, piece and, and put it there. Sure, whatever, if you absolutely have to. But a lot of, a lot of recordings that I'm on, um, especially with Wolfpack and Fearless Flyers, it's like there's some mistakes and that's fine. I think that's part of the deal. That's part of the charm. But I don't overthink it. You know, there's some things where it's like, oh, I wish I would have released that note early. It would have been easier to peel it back in the Pro Tools, but it's fine to just, like, leave it. And, uh, you know, if you listen to the bass line on September by Earth, Wind & Fire, you will it will immediately tell you there are plenty of hit songs out there with mistakes in them. Not many in our modern era, but... Um, like, listen back to September and follow the baseline. It's like, whoa, he had a better take in him for sure. But whatever, it's fine. It, it works great, you know? Are the videos for Wolfpack and your solo stuff always the actual takes? Like, is it always a video yeah. you're recording or is it? 100%, yes. It would be near impossible and such a waste of time to do it any other way. Like, I don't have the time to record a song and then have everybody learn their exact parts and play it back. No way. So, um, yeah, it's always, 
exactly what's what's happening you know like all the videos are still just on my iphone you know and and you can hear it in the room and and that way also after i'm done what i'll do a lot of times when i'm doing my records is when i'm listening back in the control room i'll time it i've gotten to be a pro at at syncing up just manually from my iphone and listening back on the speakers and then i turn my volume down then i can watch the video and listen back to the playback in the control room and it's nice because like sometimes there's a really cool thing that happens in the video and in today's day and age it's like was take one or two better i don't know maybe take one was a little bit better but the video in take two is dope so we'll just freaking use take two whatever you know it's like unless there's something really compelling about one take over the other sometimes it's the video that determines which take gets used because it's like oh yeah the video was really good like i have my friend who's not a videographer my buddy pistol pete who rolls around and 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 uh, has a steady cam for my sessions and he does a great job he's an he's a musician so he's got good instincts when when he's doing the video like some guys some camera guys like to get cute with their shots and it's like oh check out this weird angle close up on the bass drum it's like, no, 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 no. There's a keyboard solo happening right now. Don't do a close-up on the bass drum. Like, people want to see the keyboard, and there's a keyboard solo there, and that's what I want people to pay attention to. So it's like, if you get somebody who has those kind of instincts, who's paying attention musically, rather than just, like, what kind of shot they've got, then you get that sort of thing. And in the end, it's like, cool, whatever. The video works, and... I don't know. I don't. I haven't cracked YouTube myself, so it's like I've tried full production videos. I've tried just iPhone videos. Some perform better than others. I don't know. So at this point, what I'm doing is like path of least resistance. What's easiest? iPhone video, sync it up in Final Cut, and it's done. <laughs> Long answer question. Yes, they're all live. <laughs> the video that made me not sure was uh, Lonely Town with the mic hanging from the ceiling and Theo lying down. Was that live as well, yeah. that video? Theo's just that good. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's... <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the thing. Is like, And sometimes, as far as a vocal thing, um, you just leave that take, but maybe overdub a second vocal, doubling. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I've done that before. I think it would be good to talk about your kind of you guys and your personal approach to getting a kind of vintage sound, which is because you kind of do it in an interesting way and that it's not, you're not aiming to do like a pastiche of the old thing. You're taking some of the core elements and kind of expanding on it in a modern way. Could you talk a bit about that and your kind of approach to getting those sounds? Um, How Jack does it is maybe a little different than I do it, but I don't know that it's all super intentional. I think, um, well, he's got a master bus chain that's pretty interesting. It's really fun. What's the name of the plugin? Hold on, I'm going to look at it. Is it uh, like seven tape plugins? Yeah, he goes like... Is it the... Uh, is it the Kramer tape? Nope, it's one of the Good Hertz plugins. Oh, okay. It's, the, it's on the wow factor. Right. Hold on. The way that Jack gets his vintage sound is a little different than me. I, I'll sometimes use like the Ampex, the UAD Ampex tape machine on my master bus. 
And the Wolf compressor itself has like, like it, it hints towards a vintage thing. And sometimes the wow filter on that gives it a little bit of a, like a tape or vinyl thing. Um, I just kind of like the sound of it. I don't put much wow on my recordings. Jack sometimes goes heavy on it. Um, but he sometimes does a thing where he like, I, I don't, he showed me his master bus one time and I, it was pretty funny. It was like a wow, wow filter going to like doing a tape thing into an EQ and then like six instances of those two plugins back and forth. But when he showed me, it was like, man, this actually sounds really dope. And like, it's just a unique workaround. But uh, I guess what that is a testament to is his creativity and relentlessness to try things to get the sound that he's going for, uh, which is amazing. Um, so for me, I don't know. I think part of the, the vintage sound is just using real instruments, like using real drums and miking them, miking them up, uh, whatever, like not necessarily even vintage techniques of miking. It's just like a handful of mics on the drums, use a real whirly, use a real Rhodes. That's what they would have done. And using real guitars and basses played in a way where it's people who have listened to a lot of vintage music and, and music of that era. You know, I think the playing and the actual instruments themselves will get you 90% there. And then it's just set up the mics and the way that you mix it, I don't know, you just don't mix it so sparkly and so shimmery, you know? So some of that has to do with EQing and compression, but to me, it's not as much, for what I do, it's not as much about a tape machine or, you know, all the vintage compressors on the front end. I couldn't care less about that. Like, I would prefer to just go right into my Apollo and then do it all in the box. Now, I know a lot of people are just the complete opposite. And, you know, w what's better? I think just whatever works for you is what's best. And for me, I do a lot of my stuff at home and I do a lot of my stuff while I'm on the road. So I just bring my, I just always have the same rig with me at all times. So that way I have consistency and, uh, sure. If I had a nice console and, um, and you know, if, if I had my own SSL or Neve console and I had a crap ton of outboard gear, that would be a lot of fun, but you know what else it would be a lot of time and a lot of work. It's like, Oh shoot. When I listened back to that mix in my iPhone speaker, it actually sounds like I need a little more kick rather than less kick from what was in my studio speakers. Well, let me take 20 minutes to recall that mix and put it back together and try to use my instincts on how much it's like, I don't know with, if I do it all in the box, it's just fast. And for me that, that has a lot of value for me right now. And the stuff sounds the way that I want it to sound. So great. You mentioned using kind of real instruments. Do you ever use drum samples to kind of supplement drum recordings uh occasionally not a lot um i have trigger and it's like well i have it on this kick drum that i have right now i don't know if you can hear this if i take trigger off and i normally if i do it i kind of mix it in like 50 percent i don't know it's just sometimes 
if the, if I'm not why if I can't get the kick to sound the way that I want it to within four minutes, I'll usually put a trigger on it. Um, but you know, maybe that's me being lazy or not knowing exactly what I'm doing. Probably, you know, I'm not the best mixer in the world, but I can mix my stuff. And uh, I would say about thirty percent of the time, I will use some sort of trigger, but only supplementally. You know, it's like, ah, kick in and kick out. The kick in sounds a little bit weird. I'm just going to trigger this one a little bit. Um, or it's like, man, that Tom mic sounds awful. Well, let me load a trigger or let me load a sample that's like that exact same pitch, you know, and I'll spend, I'll spend time making sure that it sounds exactly like the other Tom. Um, but I don't do it to hide anything and I don't do it to add i just do it because like not enough isolation i don't know yeah (laughs) what led you to choose to kind of mix your own stuff as opposed to outsource it someone else well i mix about half of my own things so i normally will mix something every one of my songs i will mix it as good as i can and if I don't feel like it's 100% there, I'm usually usually pretty honest with myself. Um, if I don't feel like I can nail it, I'll pass it off to uh, my friend John Fields, who's an incredible mixer, and he and I have all the same plugins, or at least I I have. He has all the plugins that I have. I don't have as many plugins as he does. He's an incredible mixer. Uh, he's got like everything, but I'll send it to him. He can load up my session. And basically give it that last 15% where it's just like, how come I couldn't do that? And he's so fast. Like, I can send him a mix. And if I feel like my mix is at 80%, he'll be able to get it to 98 in 10 minutes. And it's like, this last 2%, it's, uh, there's some preference things. Like, what's your preference? And part of getting a good mixer is somebody who knows your preferences and knows what you're going for. And he, he and I have worked together enough, so now... Like, um, my last record, I, I mixed all the songs, but I could only get three of them to the finish line. So he did the other seven, you know, and, uh, that last 15% is, you know, it really counts because the, my mixes, when I listen back to my mixes compared to his, they just suck. Um, but at least I got them in the ballpark so he could understand the vision of the song. Like, Oh, this is the focal point of the, this part. This is the focal point of this part. Clearly, Corey wants this sort of thing to stick out. Now, how can he put his thing on it to make sure it, it just feels more cohesive? That's what I appreciate. Some guys, I'll send... Uh, I have used other mixers before, and I will send my session. I've gotten it to a place where I feel like it's pretty good. I will send them the session, and they will have just taken all my plugins off, put in everything at zero and start over. And it's like, are you kidding me? Do you really think that the keyboards are the focal point of that section? It is a guitar line. Did you not listen to my reference mix at all? Are you, do you, it's just so frustrating because then mix what, like it's basically mix three until it's what I would consider a mix one where it's like, 
No, no, no. It's going to take until mix three until you even remotely have a vision of what I'm looking for you. Are you that lazy where you didn't listen to my reference mix and you just threw things up where you thought, you know, so that's what frustrates me about a lot of mixing engineers. Um, but that's why I don't work with those people. And uh, I have zero intention to. Granted, if somebody will listen to the, the reference mix and get an idea for the vision of the tune and like, oh, okay, A section, this is the thing. Oh, okay, B section, this is the thing. Okay, great. Then they have a vision of it and then they zero everything out. Great, that's fine. But I know there's a lot of mixing engineers where it's like, their their ego gets in the way of like, oh, I know what's best for every tune. Like, not the producer or the artist or the songwriter. It's just like, dude, listen to the freaking song and then, then do what then then work your magic. Uh, so whatever. I love using mixing engineers who are willing to take your vision and move it forward rather than just like, here's how I mix. It's like, hi, yeah, okay, but you know. You can tell I've had some bad experiences by the way I talk about yeah. it. <laughs> no, that definitely is an ego thing with mixing engineers in terms of wanting to put their thing on it and think of wanting to have an impact rather than realizing they're working for literally working for the artist to do their vision. Yeah. And I mean, I, and it's not an ego thing out of me either. It's just like, well, it's your thing. I am literally giving this to you because you are great at this, but here's kind of what, Here's how I'm hearing it to make it better. You know, take what I've done and make it way better. Obviously, bass is a big part of the kind of music that you do a lot of. Do you have any particular mixing yep. techniques for bass to get it to kind of sit right in a song? Uh, get a good bass player. Yeah. That's number one. Um, for me, I mean, there's some of like the stock answers of, you know, listen to it next to the kick drum um i like i i try to carve out like i, I like 60 hertz for the kick and i like more around 100 hertz for the bass drum for the bass guitar so i'll normally like dip a little 60 in the bass and bump a little 60 in the kick and then do the opposite around 100 so have the bass guitar boosted a tiny bit at 100, and the kick drum ducked a little bit at 100, just to like give them a little bit of a focus. And that's a complete generalization. Sometimes, actually, what I find myself doing is bumping more of the bass in the, in the mids around like four to 900. Uh, and it doesn't sound awesome on its own, but in a mix, sounds dope. Um, so it, it kind of depends. And like the vintage sound and, and, and maybe that's some of my instincts. You asked about the vintage sound. Maybe my instincts are, are also what helps contribute to that sound. Like I don't need a ton of sub bass in the bass guitar. Sometimes, I mean, I like to have the low end have some punch, but the bass guitar itself doesn't need to be overwhelmingly hot in the low end. Like sometimes I'll use uh, the CLA bass plug-in and I'll just turn off that sub knob because that thing just like adds a ton of super low end that has never worked for me. Um, but like right now on this uh, recording that I have up, there's a bass mic and a bass DI. 
I threw that Ampeg SVT on the base line, or the, the it's called base line. It's a, just a DI. Um, I don't know. I don't normally do that. I'll sometimes put a little compressor on it. I use, uh, sometimes I use that metric halo channel strip. It's a dope channel strip. EQ a little bit of the low, low end out. Find if there's any kind of weird obnoxious frequencies. Duck those a little bit. Do a little compression. And I kind of, I, I leave it there. Um, but I like to get my mix sounding like pretty good without a lot of plugins or getting, you know, getting some low end things EQ'd out, kind of cleaned up. And then I like to do a lot of master, like I kind of work backwards from there. Once levels are kind of loosely there, I throw on my master bus template, <coughs> which is normally like an EQ, the Wolf compressor, uh, the Ampex tape machine. And then a lot of times when I use that Slate FGX limiter, I throw that stuff on the master bus and it actually gets me like, it boosts me to get a lot closer to being there. So sometimes what I end up doing is I get things loosely set and then I mix backwards. So I go master bus and then I go drum bus. I throw like a Wolf compressor on the drum bus after I've done some cleaning up and gating. And then it's like, oh, the drums are pretty punchy. It's pretty freaking close. And then, you know, just do a, a keyboard master bus EQ compression. But a lot of times I like to let the master bus itself um, do a lot of the work. What is your EQ on the master bus normally doing? I normally take out like... It's normally uh, like 25 hertz roll-off or something, 20 or 30 hertz roll-off at the bottom. Um, and maybe maybe a tiny bit of roll-off at like 20K if I want to take a little bit of that super top end up, only because like I had mixing engineers from the from when I first started tell me to do that. I don't know. And uh, sometimes in general, a song will be kind of bright or kind of dark. So what I use is uh, this Good Hertz plug-in. Uh, tilt shift. It basically is like, add a little top end, add a little low end. And it's got like a range thing. So it's like, if I need it a little bit brighter, I'll throw a tilt shift on and it makes it a little brighter. You know, it just kind of tilts the mix one way or the other. Um, so that's cool. I like that one just because I'll pull up my mix, but I'm always referencing other songs. So it's like I have a playlist of old songs, new songs. I listen to my mix reference to those other ones. It's like, oh, my mix is really dark and really low end heavy. Do I want that or do I need to adjust my mix to make it a little more like what other songs are? No. beyond the wolf compressor are you doing any more kind of limiting or compression or are you leaving that more for mastering uh i do the the slate fgx yeah yeah it does the tiniest amount in the compressor and then on the limiter side i normally leave that for the mastering engineer but you know like the fgx has a thing where you can add in the end i normally end up adding like 8 dB of gain on the thing for the limiter. 
whatever, just wherever I have my stuff set, that's just kind of normally where it is. But uh, for like my reference mixes, but then I do a balanced low level mix for the mastering engineer where it's like I've only added 2 dB of gain. So it still does a little bit of thing. And then I will send the mastering engineer my reference mix and the low level mix. So that way they can hear the mix that I've approved and see like the punch level, the loudness level, that sort of thing. And then use their own discretion at that. Mastering is still kind of like voodoo to me. I don't quite get what they do, but uh, I know that it's good. I mean, I, I found a couple mastering engineers. Well, there's been a couple that I've used in the past that didn't wow me at all. And it was like, man, what a waste of money. And then, uh, I've used a couple mastering engineers that I've done that I've used for the last couple records that I've done. This guy, Joe Laporta, I don't know what he's doing, but it's just like, it sounds freaking amazing. And I don't know if he's just got like this certain EQ box and a certain compressor, compressor and limiter. I don't care what it is, but when I get it back, it just sounds better. It sounds like, Oh, you know, I, I've tried mastering. I spent an entire day trying to master my record and I did it like two different days, two different approaches. Do it in Pro Tools. Do it in Logic. Does anything like, how can I make it sound great? And none of mine sounded, I mean, mine sounded 95% there, but his just had that extra thing. that was like, wow. And his were louder and they sounded cleaner. I don't know why. So uh, I still get my stuff mastered by somebody else because they do a better job than me. When you're recording just in the studio, do you normally just DI the bass? Yes. I normally in the studio would never have a bass amp. The only reason this session that I have up right now is because it's from a live thing. So there was a, an amp on stage. When with Wilfek, with uh, not using headphones, do you normally have like a bass amp in the room just for monitoring? Yeah. Yeah. Run pretty soft. Um, I mean, you can see it like on the fearless flyers videos or even any of the Wolfpack videos if you look um <clears throat> like uh a lot of times it's that little mark base one eight or no 110 amp um at our friend tyler's house the songs that are done in his basement he has this like little roland cube bass amp or something but uh it's more so we can hear just hear a little bit in the room it's never about miking it, and same with like guitar amp. I'll, I'm, I don't, I never care. I don't remember any of the guitar amps that were used. Well, no, that's a lie. I do. I don't, rem I don't care what a lot of the guitar amps are that are in the room when recording with Wolfpack, because in the end, it's just DI, and the guitar amp is so low, anyways, that it's just, uh, yeah, it does. It's, it's insignificant. For bass or guitar, are you using any particular DI boxes to color the sound on the way in? Or are you just kind of doing it the cleanest option? I don't know a single DI box that was used for my guitar with Wolfpack. I know that Joe has been using the Noble DI on bass. And uh, that thing sounds dope. It's great. I think with my guitar, I don't know, everybody uses those radial DIs. Maybe it was one of those. Or I don't know. Um, with... Whirly and Rhodes, are they normally just DI'd? Yes. Yeah. Sometimes when I record Whirly or Rhodes for my records, I like to use a little bit of an amp because it has a different sound. Um, but I like the sound of a direct Whirly. 
and a direct roads. Like they, they're cool to me. Are you then using any kind of amp simulation or distortion in the box to saturate it at all, or is it kind of staying clean? No, uh, I know some people do, but I don't really. Uh, I have before. Like, there's maybe a couple songs, but in general, it's not like I have to do this. You know, like if I'm using overdriven guitar, you kind of have to use a guitar amp. I mean, you don't have to, but 90% of the time, you're going to want to use an amp simulator if you're going for like a, a distorted or overdriven sound with a guitar. With a whirly, I don't know. Depends on what you're going for, but I don't. I don't mind just having a direct whirly sound. I like it. Going back to drums a little bit, I know kind of between you and Wolfpack, like sometimes you do mono drums, sometimes you do stereo. Is there any great kind of thought behind that, or is it more just how the drum kit's laid out, that sort of thing? Um, yeah, I think that's basically it, how it's laid out and what the vision for that song is. Jack does a lot more where he likes to have less channels involved. Uh, it's just a lot easier. And it's kind of fun to just have like kick snare overhead for the fearless flyers you know like that's it or like when, when the fearless flyers played when we played madison square garden we had eight channels that's kind of fun you know it's like eight channels of inputs that's it uh so it's it's like it's kind of funny to have that few channels in that big of a thing and um when we're recording it's like when the Flyers recorded as the four-piece, it was just kick, snare, overhead, and then the three guitars. That's it. You know, so it's it's a lot less channels. For me, when I do my own music, I like to have stereo overheads just because I like that sound. I like that imagery. But um, with the Fearless Flyers, it's like you pretty much have Mark on one side, baritone guitar on one side, my guitar on the other drums are kind of drums and bass are just kind of in the center um and there is some imagery within that but you know it's it's cool to to sometimes experiment with mono i was going to ask with baritone guitar are you treating it any differently than you normally would like a di guitar exact same as a di guitar yeah but it's just obviously it's the same way that like the viola fills the void between violin and cello the baritone guitar fills the void between guitar and bass guitar. Do you find yourself using things like room mics much? Never. Uh, I have a lot of engineers put up room mics, uh, and they're always at negative infinity <laughs> and muted. But I sometimes like to have them just in case. Um, a lot of my sound that I like to go for is just dry and t I like it to feel like it's right here you know at some point I'll probably change my mind and use room mics or something but uh for now I don't when I do my live records I put up uh like audience mics so I have a few live records out and on those well you can actually hear the difference there's a live in Minneapolis record where there's two audience mics well, no, it's two pairs of audience mics. Um, it's some like two shotgun mics and two SM57s. And that way it just kind of like gets different. It, 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 res it responds to the audience differently. So there's two sets of room mics, if you will, 
for the audience for uh, for live record, which I think is really important because then it captures a little more of the energy. I have a live in the UK record where it's a lot of room sound, um, but the room wasn't huge. It was like we did a few nights in one venue, and it was it was a little more intimate. It was cool. Um, but then I have this record called Live on the Lido Deck, which is literally on a cruise ship. <laughs> we were doing a cruise ship gig, and that one there were just like wasn't room mics. It was just like the house engineer at the cruise ship. I was like, hey, will you uh, take this flash drive and give me the multi-tracks from this? It's like, yeah, sure, whatever. And uh, it, we didn't set up any room mics or anything. It was just the the close mics. And then actually there was maybe, a, there was a couple extra vocal mics that were just like on stage that he had those lines open. And I maybe used those a little bit mixed in just to have like some ambiance or whatever. But as far as studio recordings, I never like to use room mics. I think to finish up, the last thing we haven't talked about much is acoustic piano. Do you have particular favorite miking techniques or mics for those to get that kind of intimate sound? Um, <clears throat> yes. And this actually, the, uh, I, this came to me from an odd experience. I, used, I had a weekly gig at a jazz club for years when I was in college, starting in college. And they had a really nice three mic piano mic like condenser mic system set up in their like yamaha c7 or whatever really nice mics but they were always they always sounded weird a little bit phasey a little bit like they were always on the edge of feeding back and they just never sounded amazing to me on their own and then one day you know i was talking on the mic into an sm58 <clears throat> and I just set the mic in the piano because I didn't have a mic stand and it all of a sudden sounded amazing. So what I like to do is I like to stereo mic an acoustic piano like you kind of normally would. And then I put some sort of SM58, uh, the M88 or, or even a 57 or whatever, just some sort of dynamic mic in the piano kind of in the center uh, and then I, I cover the piano. I use the half stick. So, you know, like a full stick on a piano, the lid is way up. The half stick, it's only up like nine inches or whatever. Um, so I use the half stick and then I'll normally put the piano cover on it. So that way it's got a lot more isolation. So between the, the nice stereo mics and the dynamic mic that's in the piano, you get that sort of thing. And I actually think I have that on this live recording. I don't know if you can hear this at all, but yeah, I, can. Just... I can get the idea of what you're trying to show you. Here's this, the 57. Let me see if I can find a sound where it's a little more. Here's just the 57. And then here's just the stereo mics. So it's got a lot more, it's full spectrum. But I end up rolling out a little bit of the low end on the stereo mics. And on the on the dynamic mic, I leave some more of the low mids and the lows because they, they're a little more controlled on that mic. Do you ever have problems with phase between those two mics, three mics? 
Um, I don't right now, but I will occasionally. And then it's either flip the phase on one of them or sometimes uh, the trick that I do is I use some sort of delay and I'll put the delay, the mix at 100% and I'll delay it by like one millisecond or 10 millis, three milliseconds, whatever, until it kind of sounds like it's back in phase. Yeah. I think that's all my questions. So thanks a lot. Great. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. This is fun.